What's up, everyone? Happy 2021. Welcome back to another episode of Bombshell 1111 Podcast, Therapy for Women of Color. My name is Kia, and I'm your host. On tonight's episode, you guys, we have a guest by the name of Tamara Houston. She's a clinical social worker and owner of a group practice and consulting company. In her practice, she focuses on trauma, anxiety, grief, and bereavement. Right after this short commercial break, we'll be right back to jump into that episode. So you guys, without further ado, let's get to it. the Bombshell 1111 podcast, Therapy for Women of Color. My name is Kia, and I'm your host. Tonight, you guys, is my very first episode for the 2021 year. And it is a very, 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 to me, um, special episode because it's going to talk about and focus on topics that we tend to shy away from but need definitely, definitely need more knowledge upon. And tonight, you guys, I have a very special guest by the name of Tamara Houston. She's a clinical social worker and an owner of a group practice and consulting company. In her practice, she focuses on anxiety, trauma, and grief and bereavement. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the podcast, you guys. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thank you so much, Tamara, for coming on and being a part of the podcast. Um, Again, you know, as we spoke before, I told you, I think the practice that you have and the things that you consult in, especially the anxiety, depression and bereavement, that's something that um, definitely needs to be um, more educated on within the black community, because Mm -hmm. I say that when when we deal with death um, and that's just just from my personal experience um, within the black families, we tend to deal with them differently. Um, And most of the time is anger. Um, and anger directed at the wrong person. And um, sometimes it also goes into depression and in which you also touch on, mm-hmm. um, which may also lead to anxiety. So I think, you know, you just have a, a rainbow of tools that are needed, um, not only just for the African-American community, but for the community and all. So again, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. So um, yeah, I absolutely agree with, with what you're saying. I really enjoy um, having opportunity to do talks like this because just like you're saying, these conversations um, don't really happen too often in our communities. I mean, I, I think conversations around mental health, period, have become um, uh, more of the norm. So we're moving in, in the right direction. Um, but there are definitely some some demographics that um, are kind of behind the bar in that. So I enjoy having an opportunity to share, get information out there so people know exactly what they're dealing with and just have um, a touch point. So, I mean, whether you're reading a book or you're listening to a podcast, it's better that you have the right information than have no information at all. Oh, yeah. You said it there. You said it there. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump in. Um, 
so a lot of people say they have anxiety um, just because, uh, like you and I kind of discussed earlier before, they've heard someone else say, I'm having an, an anxiety attack or or just because they've seen it on television and thinking that that, that may be what they're going through. Um, for those individuals who don't know, can you um, kind of break down what are the f- five most common types of anxiety disorders? Of course. Um, first, let me just in thinking about what anxiety is in general, it's an overactivation of our system. Um, if you hear nothing else that I'm saying about anxiety, if you think about fight or flight, and oftentimes, um, you know, th- this is a more familiar term, it's something that we all experience in a way because when we are presented with danger, right, our system automatically goes into this state of protection. It um, is built to preserve life. And it's not asking us questions. Hey, do you want me to run or do you want me to fight or do or, or do I freeze? That's one of the one of them too. Um, so it's not asking our permission. It just automatically does what it needs to do. However, with anxiety, it's like an overactivation of those um, that that internal mechanism. So the um, the primary ones are going to be generalized anxiety disorder, and that is characterized by chronic anxiety so it's like a constant worry um even about little things and like the catalyst for that is often unknown some people um especially i'll I'll just talk about my my clients that i work with often have a hard time trying to like pinpoint where it all started or even sometimes when it started they may be able to see like i remember being nervous you know, when I was in the fifth grade and it kind of going on from there, but like actually having um, an exact start of it is hard to tell. So really and truly the generalized anxiety, the key word is there is generalized. You just kind of worry about every and everything, any and everything. I refer to that term as like the worry ward, right? So no Mm -hmm. pause, just kind of worrying about a lot of stuff. Then you have um, panic disorder, I think, will probably be the next one that I see quite often in my office. And I would add to that um, agoraphobia as well. So in the old, we use a, a, a big book called the DSM. And um, in that book now, panic, panic disorder and agoraphobia are separated. But it is basically um, characterized by having like moments of fear um, accompanied by some other symptoms, but it just kind of happens like quite suddenly. And those symptoms may be um, a, a lot of people will say like their ha- their heart is racing or they feel short of breath. Um, some people feel nauseous. Things that you'll hear them say often is like, I, I felt like I was going to pass out. Um, um, there may be some abdominal stress, like abdominal upset at that time. So the panic disorder is just like a really intense kind of fear that that comes on quite suddenly. The agoraphobia part is um, you have some of those those that same um, kind of definition of that, but it imply applies to like going out into um, spaces. I wish I could remember. As I'm saying this, I remember a movie <laughs> about this lady that would not go out of her apartment. Um, and there was like a serial killer or whatever, but every time she would open up the door, she would just get really dizzy. Like she could not go out into these 
um, closed spaces or, or being in enclosed spaces. So either way, so so far, generalized <laughs> anxiety disorder and panic disorder. Um, then you have obsessive compulsive disorder. And I think this is one that we often um, will mislabel anyway. Um, but it's an anxiety disorder is characterized by two things. You have um, pretty frequent, like unwanted, maybe in unwarranted thoughts. Like, so these are the obsessions. And this is coupled with repetitive behaviors, which is the compulsions. So a person may wash their hands quite frequently. They may um, have to, I tell you, I do this a lot. Like if I leave the house, and I will get up to the stop sign. I'm like, did I pick the, <gasps> did I turn the stove off? And I have to, I have to go back. Like I have to actually see that I cut the stove off or that I turned the iron off. But it can be the extreme of that where some people have to like touch, touch a door or do something to a piece of clothing or um, tap so many times. That is obsessive compulsive disorder. And so it is anxiety written as well um because what it is it increases anxiety so what happens is when these like rituals are not able to be performed um a person may notice that their anxiety level will increase um so another one is going to be like social anxiety so it's again the same kind of like idea around general anxiety but it's um, related to being in social settings so that's like the precipitating factor someone being in a in a social um, situation. Um, so that would be one. And then, um, this actually falls in a different category now in the DSM, but it used to be, I think maybe in three or four, but it's post-traumatic stress disorder, um, or PTSD. And this is, um, it, it has a lot of the same characteristics of anxiety disorder, that develop after exposure to um, an event or or a situation where, where there was physical harm or um, physical harm was threatened. So I normally put this in the category of like big T and little T traumas. Like those big T traumas are going to be, um, an example would be like military experience, combat, wartime experience. And then like, that small T trauma may be like a car accident or something. Um, I shared before we got on of uh, my experience with anxiety and I had a little T trauma in a car accident. Nobody was hurt. Um, but I definitely in that moment felt this like disassociation. Like I was just hovering over watching everything that happened. And from there, that led to a number of symptoms that I would experience every time I got into my vehicle. Um, and it took me about a year to kind of resolve it and get to a place where I could manage the anxiety that came up with me driving. And so um, just to review, you have generalized anxiety. Um, we also just, we, we use a lot of uh, acronyms, I guess. So that's GAD, um, panic disorder or agoraphobia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, social phobia or social anxiety dis um, disorder, and also um, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. Okay, thank you so much for that, Tam Tamira. Just to go back to the OCD, mm -hmm. um, obsessive, con um, obsessive compulsive disorder, you yep. are absolutely correct because I can, I'll share personally as well. 
I have to come back when I leave to check to make sure I lock the door. I, I have to come back. I can be far away. Uh, literally, sometimes I can be at go to work and think about it and say, uh-uh, I got to go back and check. And I think it it has something to do with me being traumatized with someone trying to break in on me before mm-hmm. at night. Mm-hmm. And since then, I, I can't sleep by the door. Um, I have to sleep on the opposite side of the bed from the door. And then I have to continuously come back and check the door when I leave. So... Yeah, you are absolutely correct. Um, After getting educated on those different (laughs) um, anxiety disorders, what, how does an individual get diagnosed with that, um, with those particular disorders? And what are the risk factors for those anxiety, for anxiety disorders? Okay, absolutely. So I will say this, this is a, a really generalized question, actually, because I think this will pertain to any mental health um concern um whether that is in the dsm or not um is it all starts with an evaluation and depending on the provider that you you know go see you you one want to make sure that you are working with someone that has some training or specialization around issues concerning anxiety okay um I am a uh, clinician, so I'm a clinical social worker. However, I will not downplay the impact of any other healthy professional in terms of how they can assess and help with these um, particular issues. So I do want to say that first, but you want to make sure that the person has some um, training and expertise around anxiety disorder so that they know exactly what it is that they're looking for. But it all starts with that evaluation. It could be... Um, called whatever a mental health evaluation a psychosocial evaluation or whatever but within this evaluation um you are going to be as a client being asked a lot of questions and um really just just sharing kind of the history of your life really and it could be around a particular issues or if you feel or know that the anxiety has um or whatever it is that you're feeling, because you may not know that it's anxiety. So whatever it is that you're experiencing, you may, you know, start whenever that was, if that was fifth grade, if that was two years ago because something, you know, happened, whenever that was, and just kind of share what your experience has been around that. So you're looking at um, all the different parts, how you behave, how how this experience is showing up and how you react to that, your feelings and your thoughts around that this is going to give that provider the information that they need to determine whether or not you meet the criteria as set forth in the dsm one of the tools that i use is called a gab7 and it's just a measure it's kind of like a survey and it's one that a client can complete on their own oftentimes i will complete that in the office with them on that initial evaluation and it has like seven questions on the GAB7, so it has seven items on the, on there. And you ask the statement and the client gets to rate um, what their experience has been over that from, um, I think, a zero to three. And depending on what the number is, it will give an indication as to what level of anxiety that client may be dealing with, if it's mild, moderate, or severe. So it's not diagnostic. It's not, if it, you know, if someone gets 21, that doesn't, you know, I'm not going to look at that and say, okay, yeah, you got anxiety. I'm also getting the other information that I received from 
the evaluation. So some of that is going to, again, it's going to be how you're thinking, your behavior, um, your feelings, your family history, because what we know about mental health is there's that biological component as well. Are there other family members that you are aware of that have experienced the same thing or have a diagnosis of one of these um, anxiety disorders? Um, and then all of that, that provider is going to go back. So I'm specifically talking about therapists. That provider is going to go back and compare that to the symptoms that are indicated in the DSM. And what some of those are going to be is like uncontrollable worry and nervousness, um, trouble sleeping, inability to concentrate, irritability, restlessness, heart palpitations. Um, as with any um, mental health concern in the DSM all have to meet this criteria that whatever it is and how many of us meet it has to be disruptive in your life so there has to be other implications outside of you just experiencing the symptoms it has to disrupt you your life socially vocationally um in in those areas so there has to also be some type of disruption and like an example of that is um working with a client that you know they're late to work every day because they have they they have an anxiety attack or panic attack whenever they get in the car so it's not that they are intentionally trying to be chronically late but their you know work productivity their ability to get to work on time is being impaired by the fact that they are having this um these symptoms related to anxiety so there has to be some implications in your life that you can provide an example of and then some of the risk factors um are going to be things like um uh well let, let me say that sometimes uh these mental health disorders and anxiety and we'll talk about depression too can be caused by other mental health disorders right so um, some of the risk factors are going to be if there's substance abuse um, involved, that is um, can definitely be a cause of that if there's withdrawal from substances or continued use of alcohol and drug abuse, that can lead to anxiety disorders, um, experiencing trauma, whether that's a child or adulthood trauma um, can be a precipitating factor having like, um, I'll say an overabundance of stress in your life. And I, I say overabundance because stress is not a thing that we can avoid. Um, I would love to have a stress-free life, but the truth is, um, there's good stress and there's bad stress. So we can have a lot of good things happening in our lives that can feel as heavy as some of the bad stressors that can take place in our lives as well. Um, family members. So people who have family members with anxiety disorders are at a higher risk of developing it themselves. Um, and again, that's that biological component of that. And there's, um, you know, research and, and, and different statistics around like personality um, uh, character traits that, that may be more prone to having an anxiety disorder. For example, a person that's more introverted, um, that may be because they tend to keep, you know, to themselves a little bit more. Maybe they're a little bit more isolated while this um, could be intentional or not. Like you're just one to just kind of keep to yourself a little, a, a, a little bit more. So there may be things that you are going, um, that you're dealing with or experiencing that you're not really speaking on or sharing with other people because you tend to keep your personalities that you kind of tend to keep to yourself anyway. Um, 
and also being female. Unfortunately, uh, their statistics um, show that anxiety disorders are more are most common, uh, more, more commonly occur in women, and that um, tends to be some a, a lot of the research around depression as well. That um, females tend to um, end up on on that end, and there's like uh, you know psychosocial and biological components to that. The reason why that would be the case. Um, and then there can be other issues like actual, like physical issues that are, that we're dealing with that we don't, and, and this is one of the things for my practice that I talk to clients about all the time. One of my assessment questions is like, do you have a primary care provider? When's the last time you have to check up and like got blood work done? Because there could be things that we are missing, like nutritionally, vitamins, things that are impacting us that are showing up to mimic mental health disorders, but it could be that we're deficient in some of those nutritional and um, vitamin areas. So that could be one thing. So heart disease, thyroid issues, um, irritable bowel syndrome could be a problem. Like, you know, that person is constantly saying like they just feel nauseous. Their stomach is, you know, tore up, you know, all the time. That's actually Mm -hmm. that you need to get a handle on that. Um, Gut health is is super important when it comes to us being able to manage our overall wellness anyway. So these are things um, that are like preventative in a a way that we, if we could be more proactive in getting these type of things done, we might be able to head off some of the anxiety that may not be organic in nature because it's not biological perhaps, or this huge stressor or trauma that we've experienced, but um, just, you know, that we're kind of dealing with a lot of stresses and stuff. If we were to be more proactive in those areas, we may be able to head off or um, kind of lessen the intensity of some of the symptoms that we may experience with anxiety. So to kind of like segue into our next topic, but before we end with anxiety, <laughs> um, Tamara, can you give us a couple of treatments that are that are common treatments that are available for people who have anxiety disorder the most common is going to be psychotherapy which is um therapy (laughs) and um medication and honestly i get probably just as many clients saying that they don't want me don't want to try medications as i do those clients that are saying that they that they do what i always recommend is um especially like um uh, you know, pharmaceuticals is, is not my area. So this would be an area that I would refer out to as I'm recommending to a client is just to, to, to talk to their doctor about it so that they can know what their options are, right? So you, you know, may have this idea that your cousin Frank was on this medication and they got addicted or whatever, but you don't know what all is going, what all was going on with your cousin, whether that was internal or external that may have impacted um, such an outcome. What you need mm-hmm. is individualized care to make the most informed decision for yourself. So speaking with your primary care provider about your medication options is going to be helpful. And then therapy is going to be helpful as well. Um, the most common one is going to be cognitive behavior therapy, but there is a ton of other types of uh, therapy modalities that are going to be useful depending upon the specialization of the provider that you see. I also would not discount very practical things that you can do like meditation, yoga, 
Um, mm-hmm. Just practicing a simple breathing exercise is going to be great. One of the things that um, that I do in between my sessions or just when I'm transitioning out of, you know, I'm working to, to going into helping my children or whatever because I have two, two virtual kids at home is just practicing some type of grounding technique where I'm just kind of being mindful in the moment and getting connected with the ground and that may look like if I'm sitting here at my desk like I am now putting my feet on the floor and just kind of thinking about what does that feel like do I feel connected to where like I can stand up and feel supported do I feel supported in my chair perhaps I have been sitting and I've kind of been slumped over because I'm tired I need to sit back and feel the back of that chair um on on my back um, so those are like really simple things. The breathing exercise is going to be something as simple as taking three, um, uh, uh, inhaling for three, hold for three, exhale for three. You can Google that and find a ton of different combinations of like breathing exercises that you can do. But all in all, as I said in the beginning around anxiety, it's an overactivation of that um, internal mechanism that controls fight, flight, or freeze. So what you want to do, it helps to um, bring in um, what we need to help to slow that system down and get us back down to a calm base so that we can make a decision about, okay, well, are we really in danger or is this a stressor that I need to deal with right now? Can I put this on the back burner? So those are some practical things, but ultimately the research is showing that psychotherapy and medication is going to be the um, the most successful treatment. But again, I've had clients that for sure I have recommended them for yoga and meditation and a number of, of different like somatic um, uh, skills and stuff to, to try to help to alleviate some of that, um, that anxiety that they are experiencing. And they have reported that it has worked well for them. So thank you so much for that, Tamara. So let's go, jump into our um, our next topic uh, for tonight, which is okay. depression. Um, we, you know, a lot of people suffer from depression, um, whether um, they speak about it or not, um, for different mm-hmm. reasons. Um, I wanted to um, have an opportunity for you to kind of talk about that a little okay. bit more, especially as it revolves around. Um, bereavement and um, you know going through death um, for those individuals who may have lost a loved one and how to properly heal from that and how to deal with that but before you go into that I wanted the audience to have an understanding of exactly what is depression and the signs and symptoms of okay. depression so I, I appreciate you um, asking the question as it relates to grief because this is a uh, one of those areas that we are often um, miseducated in, um, and so the first thing I'll do is answer your question like, what what is depression? So typically, when we we, we use depression as like just the lay term, but oftentimes when we are referring to depression as it's clinical depression or major depressive disorder is what we're talking about and this is um typically where a person like feels just like in a constant state of sadness or like a lack of interest in life so it could be one or the other and um 
it normally happens in in what we call episodes so those episodes can last for um you know sometimes they can happen quite frequently meaning like you can really feel an intense sadness for a while and then you kind of come you can come out of it another um piece of that is sometimes we can have um like a phenomenon called double depression where a person can also have persistent depressive disorder or it's also called dysthymia where it's just like your overall day is just kind of like gray you know it may be that person that tends to see the life as like just uh, a glass half empty all the time just blah you know and so that type of depression tends to um you have to have the symptoms related to that which are very similar to what you may experience in um just normal depression over a two-year period but major depression happens in episodes so it can last from days to a couple of weeks like i said and it's just that that general sadness some other things that you may also experience is feeling tired a lack of energy almost every day not feeling uh, worthy feeling guilty about what whatever um there can be a huge disruption when it comes to sleep you can um you may not sleep at all or you may sleep too much this may happen every day um you may have bouts of that um appetite can be um impacted as well where you may eat more than you should and and other times you may not eat enough and so there can be a vacillation in in those types types of uh experiences feeling cranky and restlessness having a headache you can also feel anxious and this is the reason why having that evaluation is so important because i often hear um and i've mentioned this offline too about how we misuse um the diagnosis of bipolar disorder sometimes a person can be experiencing anxiety and depression but they're being labeled as being um a being someone who has a bipolar uh, a bipolar depression and that may not be the case so this is why that evaluation is key to making sure that you get the proper diagnosis because when you talk about depression, you have several different types of depression. Just like we talked about anxiety, there are several different types of anxiety that um, a person can experience as well. So those are some of the things. U- ultimately, the main thing that you're looking for is just like this general sadness. Oftentimes, there's also going to be um, a, a possibility of having thoughts about around death or suicide. And not just like you either that being an act that you engage in yourself, but it could also be like just a fear of death as well. So there are a lot of different things that we will look for when it comes to um, depression outside of, of sadness as well. And again, as I said with anxiety, it's that same piece about there also has to be a disruption in your just daily functioning right so problem at work problem socially like in your relationships or something you would need to be able to state how this is impacting you in other ways instead of just saying okay i'm experiencing these particular symptoms and oftentimes um you could have you could be operating in that state for so long it may not be an awareness that you have and so working with a professional can kind of help you to put those pieces together that okay well if you were not experiencing these symptoms or if you were able to get this under control, how could that improve your relationship or how could that improve things at work? So that that would be one thing. 
Now, leading into grief, okay, dealing with grief and bereavement, one of the things that we need to know out the gate is there is a difference between the depression, the clinical depression that you experience with like major depression, bipolar disorder, persistent um, depressive disorder. There's a difference between those types of depression and the depression that you experience with grief. And I'm just going to run through a couple of things here. So with grief, there is an identifiable loss. So there was a person that is no longer there and people use different terms for that. Um, they could, you know, be pretty vague about it, like I just said, or, or death or transition or whatever, but there is an identifiable loss. It may not be a person. It could be a loss of anything. You could have lost your job. You could have lost a relationship. It could be a number of different things, but there's an identifiable loss where with depression, a specific loss may or may not be identified. Like you may not develop depression um, <clears throat> just because, um, you know, you had to transition in a job or because of the relationship. So you can experience both, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to develop clinical depression because there is an identifiable loss. So that may or may not be the case. In grief, the person's focus is on the loss. So going back to what I said about anxiety, like oftentimes we cannot identify a specific trigger with the, with the depression that you experience in grief, you can identify this thing happened and this is the result of me feeling, thinking, being this way. Where in depression, clinical depression, the person's focus is on self. It's just on them and what their experience is. Not, not something, I, I no longer have this. And so therefore, I'm depressed. That focus is more so on them. There can be fluctuating physical symptoms with grief. And depression there's prolonged and marked functional impairment. So in grief, like you may, you know, have days where you're like, you're feeling really great. And, you know, and it could literally be a day. This day you're feeling really great. Um, the next day something hits you, you have a memory or something. And it just kind of fluctuates like that. In depression, it's going to be a more prolonged and more visible, like observable um, functional impairment. Um, with grief, there's, uh, you're able to feel a wide range of emotions. Oftentimes, um, when we talk about grief, and this is because a lot, a lot of the research, there's a lot of stages and cycles and tasks and stuff. And all of those are, th all of those things are true in their own right. We just need to have more education around how to interpret those um, stages and phases and all that stuff as it relates to our own grief. However, what grief really looks like is if you can think about like a child, you ask a, a three or four year old to draw a picture and unless they are like really like creatively inclined or something, you know, their picture is going to look like maybe a bunch of scribble scrabble. You know what I'm saying? And, and then they bring it to you and they're like, oh, look at what I did. And you're like, yeah, what is that? Oh, that's a dinosaur, right? But it looks nothing like a dinosaur. It just mm -hmm. looks like a bunch of squiggly lines. That's what our grief looks like. It just, it's just all over the place, all over the place, where depression are more fixed emotions and there's a feeling of being stuck. And I hear this all the time. The, the client's report is, 
I just don't want to feel this way anymore. Well, what is this way? And oftentimes they can say what this way is. It may be different for individual people, but they can pretty much specify that there's a stuckness, there's something about that's going on with them mentally and emotionally that they just don't like. Where someone dealing with grief, there's just a hodgepodge of emotions that are just all over the place. With grief, their thoughts of death are typically related to wanting to be reunited with the deceased loved one. And that could be like in that area of bargaining, like why not me? Or, you know, if only I could be with them, if only I could see them again. Well, the only way that's going to happen is, you know, and if you have certain beliefs around that is if you are also no longer here. So that may be encompass your, your thoughts around death as it relates to grief. Where in depression, the thoughts of death are related to feeling worthless, undeserving of life, or unable to cope with pain. So that's that's really important. I want to um, offer this. There is a really nice chart that covers this information that I just shared. If you go to um, betterhelp.com, um, there's uh, an article on there about suffering from depression. So I'm always really clear not to take... Um, any credit for someone else's work so i'm actually reading these these this this particular piece of information from a chart but it is absolutely true with grief things are just going to kind of be all over the place it's not as static as you're as a person is going to experience with depression wow Thank you so much for that. That was very useful. Like I assumed and knew that it would be. And I know that the listeners will definitely take that, that information and hopefully they'll use that information. Um, lastly, to close us mm-hmm. out, um, Tamara, what are some treatments um, that you foresee or that you currently use to deal with depression? Um, so I recently... Um, certified HR. I just got my certification uh, <laughs> notification yesterday in EMDR and EMDR stands for um, I mean, EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and it is a it's, it's a form of psychotherapy and it was developed by um, Francine Shapiro back in the 80s um and she did a lot of this work around, um, uh, it started out with just working around distressing like images. And what I really like and appreciate about this work is, is a couple of things. It, for me as a clinician, it really lightens the load for me because what you are working with is the body. What she talks about and what I really believe is that the body has everything it needs to heal itself. Now, sometimes we have to clear some things out in order for it to do the work that we need it to do naturally. And that is really what EMDR helps to do. It helps to clear out some of those pathways so that people are able to heal from symptoms and emotional distress that they that are a result of just disturbing life experiences. And in, in the training that I've done, I've um, heard stories of people actually healing from trauma that has impacted their their life as 
as adults and showing up in as depression and anxiety and other things, um, substance abuse is shown up as, as other things, but this trauma happened in the womb. And so I am just like super excited about my journey with this particular work and what it mimics um, is um, it mimics what happens when a person, when, when we sleep. Our bodies, if you've ever watched anybody sleep, right, you may notice that their eyes, whether they are, you know, some it kind of scares me a little bit when I see people sleeping with their eyes open a little bit, but but some people do that. But you'll notice that even if their their eyelids are, are closed, that their eyes are moving really quickly. They're moving around really quickly. And it is during that process, it's called bilateral stimulation. It is during that process that the body is repairing itself from all of the things that have happened during the day and maybe some, you know, things that have happened throughout the week or even before then. It is actually doing the work to repair itself. And so this is why sleep is so important to our overall wellness because there's work that our body is doing. Like it's not shutting down. It's actually going to work. So during the day, we may get up at eight o'clock, you know what I mean? And start getting ready for our day to go to work. But then it's at nighttime when it's time for rest or, or whatever your wake sleep um, cycle looks like. It's during your rest time that we go into REM sleep, which is called rapid eye movement sleep. That your body is saying, okay, you went to work today, you did your thing, now I get to do my thing and kind of clear some of this stuff off so that when you get up the next day, you will feel rested and you'll have the energy to go out and do whatever again. So that's one thing. Um, There's some great work around um, internal uh, uh, family systems that's called IFS. That's another type of psychotherapy that's out. Um, I'm really liking um, this really I think a huge movement around yoga over the summer I I think it was summertime it may have been late spring that there was an organization that was giving out um scholarships for African African American women to actually complete a yoga certification um and you had you know so many months to actually get it completed and and then get some some other additional type of certification but for those that got the opportunity to get that certification i believe you have until december of this year to complete that and so there is a lot to be said about the work around yoga and meditation and just being um in spaces where you are can be mindful i think creative therapies are going to be helpful as well some people just don't have the words right to describe what their experiences are or to say I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this way or this is what I've been thinking. Some people are just more creative beings and they need an opportunity to express themselves in a different way. I think about I have three children and my middle child she she, she just learns differently. That's the bottom line. She just learns differently. Mm-hmm. And so if it's music you know going she could be in class but if she got music going she is picking up stuff like Boom, 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 boom. I remember when she was taking piano lessons, like her math grade improved when she was taking <laughs> piano lessons. And there's a lot of research around why why that is the case. But some people just learn differently. They're able to retain 
information differently um, and be able to express themselves differently. So I think the therapies around like creative arts are going are are, are really um, showing up more in this area as well around depression and anxiety. So that's your, your your music, your movement, your art. All of those therapies are really making some headway. I know there are some things going on with different types of medications as well. Um, what I would suggest just as, as another tip for um, people that are, you know, either concerned about or interested in trying to figure out what medications are going to work best for their bodies is to follow up with your primary care physician and ask if you can have a gene site test done. Gene site test. And some, you know, providers don't like to do it. You know, for whatever reason, I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't completely know all the reasons around that. I can only share what has happened with my clients that I've referred to. I had clients that were taking medications and they just were not, um, they just weren't really effective um, or had some efficacy. And then at some point, um, just didn't seem to be working as well. That gene site test gives you information to help you determine um, what it determines really what medications, what, what they're called psychotropic medications. So the medications for depression and anxiety are called psychotropic medications. And it helps to determine which of those medications your body metabolizes best. So it's a very short test, um, not you know very expensive. I'm not sure if insurance is covering it now. I remember one of my clients from years ago took it and it was like 20 something dollars for her out of pocket because the insurance didn't cover it at that time. That was probably about five, six years ago. So I'm not sure how, how that works now, but that is definitely a tip for people to consider um, to see what's out there around medications that may be helpful to um, help to manage some of this depression and anxiety that we're, we're dealing with right now. So oh, the last thing, Tamara, um, for those individuals who may want to contact you, um, you know, to mm -hmm. to reach out for you for services, um, can you let the listeners know how to contact you on your social media Absolutely. platforms? Um, probably one of the best ways to get into contact with me is going to be, uh, be to visit our website. Our website is www.renewal, that's R-E-N-E-W-A-L, life, L-I-F-E, counseling. So Renewal Life Counseling. Um, on there, you'll find information about all the providers, um, the insurances that we accept, the uh, particular specialties that we have. And on the last page, the Contact Us page is where you can send an email and that will come directly to me. Um, even if you're trying to reach another provider in the office, all of those emails come directly um, to me. So I would get that and um, be able to follow up with you that way. And I will say, even if it's just from hearing this podcast, if you just have a question about like, where do I start? I have a, a the page is actually called that starting point. So it gives tips about where um, in, in this process of either finding a clinician, you know, whatever services that you need, what questions you need to ask, what you need to do around checking your insurance and stuff. It is the top of the year, so you want to make sure that you know what uh, mental health benefits are covered there. So that's going to be the best way is to reach out to me um, via that website. But I'm also on Facebook, um, Renewal Life Counseling is there, um, and it's at Renewal Life Counseling. Um, there are some additional pages attached to that. I have Healing Bloom which is our podcast around grief and bereavement. Um, and you can actually just search that out. There's a community and there's also a page that you can follow. So um, 
It's a new podcast, but it's really just about sharing stories around grief and bereavement and I'm um, just normalizing the conversation around death. And it's not just death of a person, it's just death in general of a lot of things that we are experiencing. So that um I'm on Instagram. Instagram is at renewal life underscore RLC. On Twitter is at renewal underscore life LLC. So um, feel free to reach out to me on any of those. And then also Houston Consulting, that is a business. Um, as a consultant, I'm really niche down. So I primarily work with female entrepreneurs that are in private practice. So if that is an area that you are interested in. Um, I have separate contacts for those, but you're still welcome to reach out to me um, via those uh, platforms that I just mentioned. And also my email is info at renewallifecounseling.com. So if you don't remember Renewal Life Counseling, then you can Google as well and um, find (laughs) information um, through Google if you need to. You can just Google Renewal Life Counseling. Well, thank you so much, so much, Tamir, for coming on and sharing your resources and your knowledge with us tonight. I'm, I'm knowing that the information you shared was powerful and as well as useful to the listeners because I learned a lot as well. Um, so, again, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. So, you guys, with that being said, we're going to end tonight's episode. Always remember, you are a bomb within your own shell. Peace, love, and light, you guys. Good night. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate, review, and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving with some valuable information that can help you on your personal journey. Also, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Bombshell1111 or at Bombshell1111 TV. You can also check out our mental health page, Your Health is Your Wealth, on Facebook, which is a page created to inform and support individuals with mental health and other health conditions. And with that being said, always remember, you guys, you are a bomb within your own shell. And until next time, peace, love, and light.